Welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. My name is Lancia Klingensmith, and today we are joined by Greg Kennedy, who just recently retired as Senior Vice President of Airport Operations at Delta Airlines, where he was responsible for some of the busiest airports in the world, like Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International, LAX, and our very own Salt Lake International, just to name a few. Greg graduated from the Eccles School in 1987 and continues to be one of our most dedicated Eccles Advisory Board members. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Thank you so much. Great to be here. We are so excited to learn more about your career and how retirement's been treating you. So far for the first 25 days, it's been wonderful. That's great. Let's just jump on in if you don't mind. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your connection to the Eccles community? First of all, I'll start by saying, of course, I have a wonderful family. So love of family is one of the ways to describe me, but I also love to travel. We've traveled all over the world. I love sports, any sport, love running, skiing. And as of late, taking advantage of a little bit of extra time I have to read all the many books I've collected over the years that have been uh, stacked on my bookshelves, and I'm enjoying reading a couple of those at a time right now. I was born on the East Coast in Bainbridge, Maryland. My dad was in the Navy at the time. And at the age of eight, my parents divorced, and my mom, in and, and all her spirited personality, decided to pack all five of us kids up, everything we owned, into and on top of, of our car, and, and headed west. And we ended up in a small town of Shelley, Idaho, believe it or not, where I grew up. I was very involved in in sports. But the sport of wrestling provided uh, a means uh, for me to go to college. After winning the state high school title two years in a row, I was offered a full-ride scholarship at the University of Utah to wrestle for them. And uh, little did I know that uh, I would end up in in the business area. I didn't think I would be at the time. But after my freshman year, and I decided to serve a mission for our church. Uh, so I went and spent the next couple of years in South Africa, which was a great experience. When I returned, I was anxious to get back into wrestling. But like uh, many major universities, Utah dropped the wrestling program. Didn't make a whole lot of money. So I went to a junior college to get wrestling out of my system. And <laughs> so while I was there, I married the love of my life and, and we started a family. So I Figured it was probably time to get serious about schooling and move on. So that's when I went back to the University of Utah and actually went into the business school and and got my degree in business and then started my career about the same time in the airlines. I started as a part-time employee on the ramp, loading bags and finishing up my degree. And, And once I graduated, we decided to stick it out with the airline, with Delta Airlines at the time and to see you know, what materialized. And we said, we'll give it a year and see what happens. And, you know, 36 years later, it was a great journey. If you fast forward through those many years uh, of my career, we were fortunate to have four children and a nephew. We raised a nephew. And uh, of course, now we have nine beautiful grandchildren. We love them. But I was honored to have joined the advisory board about five years ago. So it's really come full circle for me. And also will add that another connection, of course, is our youngest son, Trevor, enjoyed the Echo School Scholars Program uh, a few years ago. And and it was such a good experience for him that he and I have spent uh, a lot of time since then recruiting kids from Georgia to try to get them. So kind of a long answer uh, to your question, but a wonderful journey and very thankful to be connected with the Echoes community again. I can tell you that our entire family is our University of Utah diehards. Our Christmas card a couple years ago is the entire family, including grandkids, dressed up in our Utah outfits. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what does empathy mean to you to kick things off? 
a really short answer is it's really the glue that holds relationships together. When I think about empathy, I, you know, it really is the ability to detect others' emotions and understand their perspective. And when people feel accepted and valued, it really builds trust. Having empathy allowed me as a leader in my career to many times comfort employees who may have been grieving for some reason, or most of the time it was just offering a listening ear. And then sometimes it, it included taking tension out of the air when you were in a heated meeting, something like that. But I would also add that important elements of empathy include giving your full attention to someone. And my favorite part of empathy, I think, is really speaking in terms of we versus me or I. That was one of my pet peeves as a leader. When we'd be in meetings and we'd be making presentations, it was making sure that we spoke as a team versus an individual. Do you think that your perspective of empathy has changed over the years? You mentioned starting out as a part-time ramp agent Mm -hmm. and throughout your whole career, did it change? Yeah, there's no question about it. My perspective on empathy has definitely changed. As you take on more responsibility, your ability to have empathy or your need to have empathy increases uh, dramatically. And I would also say that I believe it has evolved over the years, just the word and the meaning of it itself in the business world. I think once upon a time, having empathy as a leader probably was looked at as you were being soft and couldn't make a an important business decision when it impacted employees or you didn't really care that it impacted employees. But uh, quite frankly, we've learned that uh, our employees are number one assets and uh, therefore empathy towards them is critical when making those type of business decisions. So I believe it's one of the most important skills or attributes for leaders today. Absolutely. And we agree. That's why we have kept it as one of our core values of the Eccles School. One of the core values of Delta is servant leadership, which seems to have so many similarities to empathy and very similar message. Do you feel like that defined your career? Yeah, wow. That's, uh, you know, if if I had a, uh, a wish, it, yes, it definitely would. Um, you know, at Delta, we created a small booklet for every employee. It was entitled Rules of the Road. And it included our core values, as you mentioned, as well as our most important behaviors that we expected out of every employee and leader. And one of those core values was servant leadership, which you indicated. That's really about caring for our customers, the community, and each other. And I will add that when corporate values align with your personal values, it makes for a very enjoyable and harmonized career. And that's really what I had. I loved every minute of it. And I think my colleagues, if they were to define me in one word, I think they would use or some would use the word or the term servant leader from day one and over the years, regardless of my title or responsibility. I stayed very connected to the frontline employees. It was a daily ritual for me to work a flight on the ramp, even to the day I retired, either at the ramp or on the gates, or even go out to the ticket counter and check in customers just shoulder to shoulder with employees. And they loved it. And then the bottom line is, I think, for servant leadership, I would never ask them to do anything I wasn't willing to do myself. So that was how I looked at servant leadership. That's incredible. I saw a video of you working out on the ramp, blowing bags, <laughs> and that was just incredible. I had no idea that it was a daily ritual for yeah. you. I'm sure that meant so much to the employees. Yeah, we had... Um, 
in the morning, every morning in startup, we had first flights that were critical to go on time. So that kind of started up the airline. And once you got those out on time, it helped for an on-time operation the rest of the day. Then uh, the 20 or 22 hour day it was. So we were very um, hyper-focused on the, getting the first flights out. So we, I thought it was important that we lead by example and get out there and, and, and help get those flights out. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at such a busy airport like Atlanta. Yeah, very busy. Before your recent retirement, you were managing thousands of employees in some of the busiest airports. And, you know, you mentioned this daily ritual. What other things did you do to connect with them in an authentic way? That's a really good question. And and honestly, it wasn't that difficult for me. It was just being myself. And even though I when I talk to my team or my leaders, I often say it's leadership one-on-one. It's just, when I thought about having the responsibility for the five hubs, it didn't make it easy to get around to see and spend a lot of face time with every employee. That was one of my frustrations is that I wanted to spend as much time as possible with the employees and get to know them as individuals. But my efforts to spend as much time as possible, I did it in break rooms. I'd sit down and play a game of dominoes and you'd be surprised how many employees would be gathered around within five, 10 minutes of me sitting down to play a game of dominoes. Or, you know, as I mentioned, work flight shoulder to shoulder or just walking the concourse, shaking hands and asking about them and their families and just catching up. All paid huge dividends uh, for me. And the upside really was building a strong reputation. So even if I was unable to see or speak to every employee when I was out visiting the hubs, they knew I was there and they knew what I was doing. And because of that, word travels quickly and employees work groups, they talk to each other and they let each other know that I've been there and been at working flights. So social media definitely helps increase the speed of information now. But I think the other probably secret sauce that I had was the fact that I started my career on the front line and rose through the ranks. So I had a really good connection there with employees because they knew I had been where they were and I understood them very well. And every business decision I made, I made it with the employees in mind and how it impacted them. So I think that helped create a special connection as well. Absolutely. I don't think there are many leaders who can say that their career expanded so many different roles at a company like yours has. I was very fortunate. That's incredible. And I think you really do showcase that sometimes the littlest things can have a really big, long-lasting impact. What advice do you have for individuals with a passion to make a difference and connect with others? Maybe they feel like too much of a small fish in a big pond. Delta has over 80,000 employees spread so far around the world, and it can be a little intimidating maybe. Yeah, it sure can. I remember, uh, I'll be honest with you, I remember when I took my, gosh, my first opportunity first promotion to Atlanta and going from Salt Lake to Atlanta. Atlanta is the, the, the largest and the busiest hub operation in the world. And everybody thought I was crazy because there's so many people there. You're just going to get lost and, and uh, you won't have the opportunities you would if you stayed here in, in Salt Lake City. But I went knowing that I kind of always had this feeling that, you know, cream rises to the top and you just have to go out and do your best and everything else will work out. It really boiled down to just going out and being your best self every single day, surrounding yourself with doers and good people 
And one of the key elements I've always believed was earning and re-earning the trust of employees every single day. I think sometimes leaders get to the point where they feel like they've earned the trust and then they kind of relax. And the old adage is, what have you done for me lately? Is really true <laughs> when it comes to that of those large employee groups. And you have to continue to re-earn that every single day. The relationships you build over time matter. When you think about, this is another really, another lesson that I spent a lot of time talking to my leaders about is that when you think about the hundreds or if not thousands of interactions you have every single day or every week with your employees or your colleagues, every single one of them are so important because your employees watch not only what you say, but how you say it. They watch your body language. And every one of those interactions builds your brand or your reputation, if you will. And as I said, word travels quickly. Employees talk to each other. And when people talk good about you, opportunities will probably come up. But if, if they talk bad about you, you may have a short career doing those kind of things. But I think it really also boils down to making a difference for the one, one at a time. And you'd be surprised how quickly that makes a difference regardless of how big the pond is. So I didn't really get too caught up in the, in the 80,000 employees or the 12,000 employees I was responsible for. I just looked at it as every single employee was important. And when I was in front of them, I would do my best to make sure that they had my utmost attention. And that goes back to, you know, what you said empathy means to you. I think that's incredible. You mentioned being your best self each and every day. How did you manage that on days where maybe you didn't feel like your best self or <laughs> the airplanes are getting out late or you had other things going on? How did you maintain that? Well, that's a good point because in the airline industry, every day is different. And some days are much more challenging than others. When you lose power or when you have an IROP or a bad snowstorm, then yeah, it gets pretty rough out there. But knowing that you're the leader and everybody's watching you and, and how you handle it, when you go out there, you're on a stage and you know, you have to be your best self no matter what's happening. If nothing else, you have to put everything else behind you and you have to go out there and do your best. But one of the things that really helped me through those most more difficult times was I would just or if I get bogged down with paperwork or type of thing, I would just put everything down on my desk and get up and walk out and get out of the operation and work flights. That was the best way for me to find relaxation and remind myself why I'm here and remind myself what it's all about. And I tell you, there was nothing more um, exhilarating or rejuvenating than to get out and spend time in the operation with the employees. And that's how I dealt with it mostly. Even during those uh, ugly operations, I would just get out in the operation and be part of it. And that looking at the customer face to face and doing what I could to, to help them. So I think those are some of the ways that I dealt with it. And I would tell you, there, there are, our employees uh, loved it when I may have gotten stuck with an, a customer who was irate, <laughs> was crazy. And they appreciated me standing there and taking it. And because that's the most difficult part of their job is when people are just screaming and yelling at them for something they can't control. I had many, many situations where that happened. And, and again, the employees loved it. They appreciated it. And uh, it helped me keep perspective on that. I bet you were there to take the heat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Knowing that every day at the airport is going to be different. It just sparked my curiosity. I got to know what was the best day 
at the airport. And what was just one of those days where, man, you were glad when your head hit the pillow that night? Best days are always defined by a, a great operation. But probably the best days out there is celebrating with the employees, celebrating the great operation. And in the airline industry, data is very important. And so the first hour or two of every day, it's just pouring through data, looking at performance. And we had a very intense scorecard, if you will. And it was a competition with the other hubs and the other parts of the operation. And we had a a competition every year that uh, we awarded hub of the year and station of the year for different sizes of operations. And the goal is to win hub of the year every year. And probably the best day I got to experience it twice when I was running Atlanta, just Atlanta at the time. And, and the largest hub operation in the world was always expected to have kind of the lowest performance just because of how complex it was. But two different years, we won hub of the year. And after the first year, we had huge celebrations out on the ramp. We closed down like three gates, set up big tents loud music. And we set up seven or eight food trucks and just handed out t-shirts with Delta on the front and the hub of the year on the back. And those type of things, just spending all day long, shaking hands and thanking employees. Those are the best days. And you look forward to those. The worst day, gosh, there's a lot of worst days too, because you do have extremes in that kind of an operation. But it was probably one night. And, and by the way, on the worst days, your head doesn't really hit the pillow. You pretty much are there all night. Or if it hits anything, it's a sleeping bag in the office when you spend a whole weekend after a snowstorm that you just stay out in the operation. But we had a, a really severe ice storm here in Atlanta a couple of years ago, and it shut down the city, literally shut down everything. And so employees couldn't get home. They couldn't get to work. And so we kind of had our own little town at the airport, all of our employees, probably about three or 4,000 at the time. And we were stuck there for three days. We basically figured out a way to feed them for three days, every meal. And found places for them to sleep. We had 767s or 757s that are parked at gates and we let them sleep in the first class seats. And then we'd get up in the morning, we'd go, you know, start digging out and try to try to get airplanes de-iced and that type of thing. But those are the most challenging days when you had to do that and and uh, spend the entire weekend out there and uh, try to get the operation back on its feet. Really wow. challenging. That's just something you think of when you're showing up to the airport for a flight and you look at all the operations, you interact with the gate agents and you don't think about things like that. Yeah. The other, I I should have probably mentioned that you can never forget 9-11. And when that happened, of course, shut down the airlines and we were shut down for six days straight. Wow. Nothing in the air. And which we thought at the time was probably the worst thing that would ever happen. And then COVID came and 2020 became, we'll be on the top of the list now uh, for most challenging year for airlines. Absolutely. You mentioned 9-11. What did that day feel like being in the airline industry? Boy, it, it felt almost like the end of the world, to be honest with you. It was very scary. I'll never forget it. Most people never forget where they were. I was actually in Chicago at the time. I was the director of the hub operation in Cincinnati. And I was in Chicago for a meeting woke up that morning and was on my way to the airport on the train. And one of my managers called me and let me know what happened. And my wife was on an airplane in Cincinnati, taxiing out to fly to Chicago. And of course, at that time, before they got in the air, they grounded all the airplanes. and So no one knew what was happening. And I got to the airport and ran to the the manager's office, went down the break room with all the employees, just staring at the TV for 
a few minutes and realized that I've got to get back to Cincinnati somehow. So I ran out to the curb and luckily one of the last rental car um, shuttle buses picked me up and said, we'll try to find you a car. Pretty much everything was gone. I got one of the last ones and drove the six or seven hours to Cincinnati and then hunkered down there at the airport and uh, just got ready to try to get the thing started back up. And of course, security changed from that day forward. Yeah, absolutely. And then fast forward to 2020, the most recent year of your career, the year before your retirement. What was that like in operations? Interesting thing about this COVID was it kind of snuck up on us. Kind of, You know what I mean? It wasn't just all of a sudden happened and shut down. It snuck up on us. And next thing we realized that uh, people were pretty much grounded uh, from flying because of the uh, pandemic. And you start taking down the operation as much as possible. You know, you're losing $100 million a day. And so you're trying to do all you can to try to reduce the operation, encourage employees to take leaves of absences, because our goal was not to to furlough anybody, uh, which we were successful in doing, by the way, thanks to the many thousands of employees who volunteered to take a leave. It was just another proof of having the best employees in the industry and how they were willing to step up and make what sacrifices were necessary to, to help us stay on our feet. And so it's, you know, it's been quite challenging and it's been up and down because at one point we thought we're, it was going to break and things were going to get better. And it's been a real challenge, but it's also been a test of, of leadership, a test of being visible and being truthful and honest and uh, constant with, with information. And without the ability to really be in front of employees physically, our new world became Zoom and uh, doing it via technology. But I would say our CEO, Ed Bastion, did a phenomenal job of staying in front every week. We had town hall meetings with him and his team. Our employees just have so much confidence and trust in him because of that. And another good example of the Delta difference and being surrounded by great leaders like him. Absolutely. What do you think is kind of around the corner for the airlines? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball on that one. I think the answer would differ depending on um, who you ask, but I have hope and I have optimism that, that things are going to turn. I think a lot of people are anxious and ready to get out and travel and and even business people, although it may not get back to 100% immediately, I think uh, that having that interaction, the face-to-face interaction is, is really uh, important. So I think in time, I don't think it's going to be immediate. I think it's going to take some time, but the vaccine obviously is going to create a lot of answers for what happens to the airline industry. And, and I think the, the sooner and the quicker we get that rolled out, the more confidence people will have and, and the sooner we'll get people back on airplane. Absolutely. I know I'm antsy to get back yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although I, I should add the work that we've done, not just Delta, because Delta's done a great job, but all airlines in, in creating as safe a, uh, a space as possible for people when they do fly. And, and again, another learning to operate on the fly and jumping through hoops to change your entire business model uh, to keep things going. And anyway, I think, I think we've done a really good job. Tell me about a time in your life where somebody showed you empathy. Wow. It's happened so many times. One of the situations, uh, I guess uh, four or five years ago, my little sister, she's one year younger than I, um, she passed away unexpectedly. Oh, I'm sorry. And you don't expect those things. Um, and you spend your career 
I, I can't tell you how many funerals I've been to, employees, immediate family members. And I was asked to speak at her funeral. So that in and of itself was nerve wracking and wanted to do her justice. And, and so I got all prepared for it. And, and of course, it was in the little town of Shelly, Idaho, which is not an easy place to get to from Atlanta. No. Definitely not a nonstop, although I lobbied for it all those years, never did get it. But when we were at the church getting ready for the funeral to start and three or four cars pulled up and out from the cars jumped my entire leadership team. Wow. So that was pretty cool. I was very touched by that. And I think that was certainly a way that they showed empathy for me and my family. And I uh, can't, can't tell you how wonderful it was to have them there and, and to embrace and, and thank them and know what it took to get there. That's that's what's amazing. So that's so that's one example. When you build those relationships, so the empathy goes both ways. Absolutely. That's incredible. All right. I want to take just a quick break to tell you all about an exciting opportunity to hear more from our dean, Taylor Randall. That's right. We are teaming up with the Dean of the Eccles School to bring you the inside scoop in a brand new series of fireside discussions, the Taylor Talks. Hear about new initiatives like the Center for Business, Health and Prosperity, our world-class learning experiences, and how the Eccles School is making an impact, not only just here local in the Utah community, but really across the globe. Join us for this new series featuring our brightest leaders at the school and, of course, everyone's favorite, Dean Randall. The Taylor Talks are coming live to a screen near you. To learn more, visit us at eccles.link slash taylortalks. Again, that's eccles.link slash taylortalks. Let's get back to the show. spent years mentoring in the Delta Diversity Council mentoring program. And you were named Rise Mentor of the Year. What do you think is an attribute of a good mentor? Well, you know, mentoring is really important to me. And I told my team that your number one responsibility is developing and preparing leaders to take your place and finding and developing those who are smarter and ready to, to take on those responsibilities. And I was serious about that because I think it's very important that you help develop others to give back. It's really a way of giving back as a leader. So no question uh, in my mind, being a good mentor was really being part of the relationship, not expecting the mentee to do everything, not expecting the mentee to call and set up appointments, um, not expecting the mentee to come and just try to soak everything from you. As the mentor, I, I felt I learned as much as the mentee did from them and the time that we spent together. I thought it was very important that, number one, that the time together needed to be uh, consistent because sometimes those mentoring partnerships and the programs, they last for a year and you get busy and the mentee sometimes is intimidated and, and not and concerned about calling the mentor and bothering them and trying to get something set up. But so I tried to make it as easy as possible to make it a real partnership and not only just to meet, but also have them participate in my leadership meetings. I would introduce them to my team. I would allow them to spend some time. If I had a presentation I had to make to employees at an employee meeting, I would invite them to come over. I would get them involved as much as possible 
so that they can see not only just hear from me, but actually watch and see uh, in actions that uh, I was kind of putting my money where my mouth was, so to speak. And so I think a mentor, uh, an effective mentor has to be very involved, very engaged and be really a partner in that relationship, not just one who shares all their wealth and experience with with uh, someone and hope that they learn. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a mentor in your career? Yeah, you know, I tell everybody that really everyone I worked with and worked for was a mentor. And some were good mentors and some were not good mentors. But I think it's really important uh, that regardless of who you work for or work with, I think there's something you can learn from those individuals, even if it's uh, what not to do as a leader. And I think you should always make note of that. Early in my career, I spent five years in HR and my responsibility was traveling the entire Delta system Wow! and doing town hall meetings in every station. I was the HR guy and I would go with the senior leaders of the division. And I took a lot of notes, a lot of mental notes. And that five years, I learned really two things. Number one, the Delta culture, which was amazing. And number two, I learned what not to do as a leader because in those town hall meetings, those are the kind of things you heard a lot about is that, hey, I never see my leader. They're never out on the floor, those type of things. And I thought, wow, this is not that difficult. And after five years of doing that, I, I realized that I could have a lot more influence and asked to go back in the operation. I couldn't wait to get back in the operation and kind of put those things that I learned to practice. So yeah, I think everybody's a mentor in one way or another. That's a great perspective. Who has been your biggest role model throughout your life? <laughs> wow. That's a broad <laughs> question. That's a pressure. Uh, you know, I have to, I have to give a lot of credit to my mom, um, having raised all of us on her own and worked several jobs, but so definitely hard work I learned from my mom. I was never shied away from however many hours I had to work a day or a week. I never really worried about that. And not only did she show me by her actions, she also implanted in me something I'll never forget. And that was that opportunities are often disguised as hard work. And that's why many people miss out on them because they're not willing to work hard and uh, they don't really see those opportunities. But just as important, the second part of that, working hard, and I learned this later in life, not so much early, because as a wrestler, you also have good you know, work habits. You, you put a lot of time in, but they didn't have the second part down. And that was being nice. You know, as a wrestler, you were really taught to be nice to people. You just want to get out there and, you know, um, take care of them. So I learned that later in life. So in my gym downstairs, uh, there's a big sign hanging on the wall that says work hard and be nice. And I think to me, those are the two most important key ingredients, very simple terms, but very important. When you're raised by a single mom, you also have a lot of other role models in your life that kind of fill in as fatherly figures. A lot of credit has to go to my high school coaches and, and teachers, people who really put up with me for the most part and kept me um, occupied and, and kept me out of trouble. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they would be, they would be so proud to hear where your career has gone and how many people that you truly have touched? Yeah, I really do. I think they are proud of me, but I, you know, I don't hesitate to make sure that they realize the important role that they played and how grateful I am for them. Absolutely. I think work hard and be kind are two sentiments that you could really live your life by. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. As we're wrapping up, I have to ask, I'm sure you've traveled the world, Greg. <laughs> I've traveled quite a few places. Where is 
your favorite place to travel to? Wow. That's hard. That's so hard because I have so many. It's almost like everywhere I go, it's our favorite. But I will say, um, and we've been to Morocco and Israel and to all over Europe, Hawaii, but I will, I'll have to say that one of my favorite places to return to was South Africa. A year ago, almost two years ago now, I had the opportunity to take all of our adult kids and their spouses. And we went and spent uh, a week and a half in, um, in South Africa. We went to Cape Town and went up to Pretoria. And it was just the most wonderful trip and just love that country and, and the beauty of it and it has so much to offer. And even my kids uh, and, you know, my kids are airline brats. So they've grown up traveling all over the world themselves. And, and they have continued to say that it's the best trip that they've, they've ever been on. So. I have to agree with that. South Africa was the tops wow. so far. So far. <laughs> You've got more time. Where are you looking forward to traveling now? Yeah, you know, everywhere. I mean, I will have to say that this COVID time period has opened up domestic uh, trips, which we probably would have never taken places that were just beautiful. We did the Oregon coast, drove down the Oregon coast, which was just amazingly beautiful enjoyed that and went to Philadelphia of all places and just realized the beauty of the state of Pennsylvania and the history of Philadelphia. You know, so it's been a lot of fun doing that, but we're hoping to go to Istanbul within the next month for lucky, maybe two months. Wow. Um, but you know, you've got to jump through hoops to make that happen. So we'll see. My wife has a wish list. I kind of go where she wants to go. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned earlier that you've had time to pick up some books that you mm. hadn't been able to read. What's the best book you've read lately that you'd recommend? Oh, gosh, I'm in the middle of, I'm reading two books right now. One is The Three-Year swim, swim Club. That's more of a leisure fun book, story about a group of swimmers from Maui that back in 19, early 1930s who went to the Olympics. But it's a really entertaining, great book. But I have a ton on my shelves. I can't wait to read. But my favorite book of all time, it's not even a business uh, book, but it's uh, Cry the Beloved Country. And it happens to be about South Africa, one of, the, one of the best books I've written. So anyway, it's a great story. So I will look forward to venturing into uh, a lot of books. I have boxes and boxes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Got to catch up now. I have a lot of catching up to do. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you would like to say on the topic of empathy or your Eccles experience before we sign off? I'm just so proud of the University of Utah, the Eccles uh, community, the Eccles Business School, and uh, really how it's evolved and become, in my opinion, just the pinnacle of business schools. I'm kind of biased when I say that, but I, I really feel that it makes it very easy for me to recruit and tell kids about this wonderful school, a wonderful environment, and the beauty of the area and the wonderful people out there. So I'm just so proud of, you know, Dean Randall and all he's done and you and the entire team. I'm just excited to, to be part of it, to be part of the advisory board and to rub shoulder to shoulder with such great people. And just very proud of all of you. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. I know I speak for everybody when I say we truly count ourselves so lucky to have you as part of the Eccles community and have the opportunity like this to learn from your leadership and learn from your career. You are such an inspiration and a role model for so many. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. It's been so interesting. I feel 
so energized by our conversation. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You could check out more of our content at echoes.link slash business buzz. Until next time, go Utes.